Hello, and welcome to the Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Joe Lalo, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And today, by special request of some folks in my Patreon, uh, we're going to be discussing a bit of the craft side of the book business. It was a bit of a relief to me that people actually want to know more about the writing part of writing, because it is both the part I enjoy most about the whole book biz, but also it's, for the moment, the only part of the book biz that I'm actively engaged with. Uh, so uh, today we'll be discussing what we do to keep our productivity high, even if writing time is limited, which is more of a case for me than I think some of the others at the moment, uh, and also our techniques for taking the first draft to the final draft. Uh, but before any of that, we'll start with news. And because I also, like last time, have the least news, I'll just go first. Uh, if you recall on our last episode, which was not recent, I said I was hoping to release a book a month for a while since I had three full novels banked and ready to be released. All of those novels are still banked and ready to be released. Uh, the most recent release I have was was uh, the surprise seventh book of uh, the Big Sigma series. That's out. It did reasonably well. Not, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like an old release, but considering I did very, very little at all to, to promote it, it made its money back, uh, which is all I really care about these days. Um, so those, those, those books are all just waiting. I actually finally started talking to, uh, to the cover artist about getting some of them ready to go. Uh, Finishing books, though, is something I can still do. So even though those books didn't get released, I continued writing books. So now the number of books that I have banked is closer to five. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm working a day job, too. That's that's what I've been doing. That's why I've been uh, not doing much else besides writing. I've been completely setting po uh, pro uh, promotion aside so that I can, you know, work for eight hours during the day and just write as a way to unwind as opposed to the way I used to do things. Um, right. That's also been a big draw on my brain juice. Like, turns out you work eight hours. You, at the end of the day, you kind of want to stop thinking about numbers. So again, another, another thing that keeps me away from promotion right now. Uh, and I originally, I ended this block of text, uh, my, my news area, with a sentence that began with, I'm hoping. But I was hoping to do those book releases. So... Uh, given how well that tends to work out for me, I'm just going to say that I plan to do my darndest to do NaNoWriMo this year. Like that is my current writing plan uh, is to just try to keep my NaNoWriMo streak alive because I went and looked and I have done it 11, uh, 11 years in a row successfully. Uh, and some of my most successful series started as NaNoWriMo. So I'd like to do it. But as I said to to, to uh, Andrea and, and uh, Lindsay before this thing, I have about an hour and a half a day for doing writing and I can't quite pull uh, uh 1700 words in an hour and a half. So I'm going to have to get creative, but fortunately creativity is what this is all about. So uh yeah, we'll get on to that. But first let's hear from Lindsay and Andrea. It's funny because if I was like super brain dead and pressed, the promotion marketing stuff is what I would do. Like to me, that doesn't require nearly as much like brains firing on all cylinders as sort of writing and creating and getting in the zone and making something cohesive. So I tend to, when I'm dead, I'm like, I'm just going to book some promos today or oh, let's see how the ads are doing. But we are all different. I totally think you can do NaNoWriMo on an hour and a half a day. You're a computer guy, Joe. I know you can type pretty fast. You just, we're going to talk about that in the productivity section making sure you know exactly what you're going to write when you sit down to write. 
But um, for my news, I think we did our last show around June. It's It's been kind of a, I don't know, eventful, emotional, chaotic year for me for a number of reasons. And I will spare the details. Other people have things way worse. So I always feel like I'm complaining, you know, if I'm, here's all the things that went wrong this year. Um, but it ended up leading to me kind of struggling to reach my usual, usual productivity. And by May, June, I kind of said, screw it and took a couple months off of writing. I, I did book some promos and keep doing that sort of stuff. But my parents were visiting for six weeks. I just moved. I was getting another place ready to become a rental. It was just too much going on to get in that zone to, to write. And I very atypically for me, I started like three or four different new projects and got like 5,000 words in and I'm like, eh, I don't want to write this right now. Um, since then, uh, this kind of resulted though in me finally doing a couple of things I'd been talking about for years, but not doing. Uh, one was finally hired a VA to deal with my email and my Facebook page answering reader comments, that kind of thing. I'm still creating the most, or I'm uh, at least finding the content for the Facebook posts and sharing news snippets and also sending out the newsletters when I have a sale or a new release. But she responds to people, which is one of the things I really needed a break from Uh, as much as, you know, I love the readers. I love that they were willing to spend money and enjoy my books. You know, if you're an introvert, sometimes, you know, you fantasize about living on a hermitage and (laughs) can struggle just finding the energy to even respond to emails. This is the same person I used last year for my TikTok experiment. TikTok did not, nothing happened when we tried the things that were supposedly working. Uh, it did definitely did not make me any money or find me any new fans, but she was solid. And, uh, you know, it wasn't any fault of her own. I wasn't involved in it at all. So that ended up being a good way to kind of test someone and just give her a project you're not, you know, you don't care what your password is, or you're not too wrapped up in. And, and so I went back to her this year. And so she's been doing that for about the last three months. So it it has been really nice. And another thing I've talked about and finally doing is I hired someone to run some Facebook ads. I I had just not done Facebook ads for a long time. And I'm like, well, let's give it a try. And these guys do it for authors and know my genres. So I think they're doing a pretty good job. They, you know, every I think their AI graphics, what is that, mid-journey or something like that. I'm like, these look really good. So that's the AI um, but so it's, it's nice because I, I never knew what to do for graphics. Like, oh, it's my book cover. And it's about 25 cents a click for urban fantasy is what we're advertising. So it's, it's less than my Amazon ads. It's always hard to tell how well Facebook converts. Uh, you know, you get to you get know what, how many clicks you get, but you don't know if they're buying the book necessarily. And uh, at the same time, I've been running Amazon ads all along and I do get organic sales too. So it's a little hard to tell, but you know, I, I think especially the older book one did has gotten a bit of a lift. And the the series, I've completed the series. So there's eight books in it. And that book one, you know, it's it's still selling pretty decently or getting borrows. These are both KU exclusive things. I hope to try a wide series at some point too. It's a little, I'm a little up in there, up in the air, always on advertising, like how much is it actually helping? Uh, how much is it worth it? And I probably with the Facebook ads, I think I will probably pulse them on, on and off. Usually everything gets really expensive around November, December. So I'll probably turn it off for those two months and then try something. I'll, I'll be launching a new series in here. I did finally get a couple books written. And uh, when I, I went back to Urban Fantasy, which is for me, it's a, I have two series in this world. So it's kind of an easy place to go back to less. I was trying to do sci-fi and then a uh, 
epic fantasy romance. And it was just easier to go back to a familiar setting this year. You know, overall, I, I still managed to publish eight novels in the last year. So nobody needs to cry for my productivity. I'm sure it's fine. And like I said, I, other people have way more eventful stuff going on. It just, this year felt overwhelming for me for the probably the first time in the, I don't know, I've been publishing like 12 years now. So, you know, it, it did prompt me to do some things to lighten the load. And uh, right now I'm just focusing on my writing again and hoping things return to normal here in a couple months. Some other news that maybe actually be useful to other people is that I, I've definitely gotten a sense, you know, especially from Amazon exclusive authors, that people are feeling crunched now. Ad costs have remained the same, but if you are in KU, you know rates have been coming down these last few months. And the trend doesn't really look like it's going to be heading back up. We can always hope. Um, I've noticed it's easier for me to get BookBub ads lately. Like I've had something like six in the last six months. Whereas before that, I think I maybe had one or two in like the three or four years before that. So I feel like people have been pulling out. Probably there's probably less competition right now. I don't know. That may pick up over the holidays. It may get more competitive again, but I, I just feel like a lot of people are feeling the crunch and probably fewer people are applying for them. I remember Joe Solari, we had on the show a year or two ago, back when we were doing a show every week, <laughs> mentioned in one of his podcasts that a lot of the high earning authors that he works with, or that he's like, when he's gone to work with them, he's found out that they've only taken a home about 10% after expenses. So like they'll have a million dollars in sales, but only take home a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm not sure if that's after taxes or not, but if things were that tight before Amazon cut the rates and it, it's been about a 10% cut that may have pushed some people over the edge to where they're no longer profitable. So I have not personally noticed Amazon ads any less expensive of late, <laughs> but maybe that's the one thing that people are like, Oh yeah, we, we got to still do our Amazon ads. I, I don't know. Just, these are just observations. I don't have any concrete data, but I also had the Amazon ads people reach out to me a few months ago and ask if I wanted to do one of their big campaigns that are a commitment of like forty to $50,000. It's like the locks. I don't even remember what it all it is. I looked into it a couple of years ago, but they'd never reached out to me before. It was very much always like you had to know who to talk to at the conferences and get the email of the right person, you know. And now they're like, hey, <laughs> would you like to spend some money with us? So I just uh, have the hunch that some publishers and higher people that are spending that kind of money have pulled out. Um, I passed. I've, I've heard mixed results from people who tried their, their big campaigns. And I always got the impression that it was pretty good early on and maybe of late, not so much. I could be wrong, but I wasn't in the mood to spend that much for what might have been mediocre results. Uh, another observation, I got a couple more and then I'll let Andrea actually talk. <laughs> um, I had a, just these last few books, probably the last year or so, I've been noticing that everything from Amazon, uh, this is Amazon specific again, I don't watch other stores as, you know, like their rankings and stuff as closely, even though I do have a couple new series wide. Um, but everything from bestseller rankings to just uh, like organic people finding your book because the the they were on the book pages and got recommended seems to be taking longer to kick in. Like people are releasing a book, promoting it, mailing their list, and they'll might, maybe they'll get a lot of sales, but the ranking might not move much if at all in those first few days. 
So if you shot all your juice at the beginning, you may be looking at your book like, uh, I'm not sure what's happening, but I didn't really get the extra organic, you know, I didn't get any top 100, let's say, of, uh, of the categories. So it's just something to be aware of. That I don't know if it's this is deliberate on Amazon's end that you need, now need to make sales last longer. Like we're not going to start promoting your book or, you know, really get the ads going for unless it's having sales on its own for several weeks. But it, it might be worth doing, especially like on a book one, a pre-order for a couple of weeks and running some ads to it just to try to get things going to get the ranking established before you actually release the book and throw everything you've got at it. I do not find that ads convert well on pre-orders, so something to be aware of. But if you can get it selling a bit and then everything's kind of already working once you hit the release date, hopefully everything you do at that point will help and be ready to roll. Um, just a couple last things. Like I said, on the last show, I think, I took a space opera series-wide and an epic fantasy series-wide. So I've been trying some of the in-house promos on the various sites, just kind of seeing which ones will actually work without me necessarily spending any extra money to send ads to the site. Uh, for draft to digital, if you're going to distribute through them, I found out you have to, so there's a place you can sign up for their newsletter. I think just listen to any of their podcasts or something. If uh, you don't know where that is, I don't remember. I had to email someone, I think, but then you get, they'll send you a news, you know, every week or so I guess I'm like, Hey, Apple's going to run a sale. Do you want to submit? You know, they're looking for this, this, if you have this, you can submit it. Um, I filled out a few of their forms yet. I'm not sure if I've been accepted to any of them. It would, I would love to get a nice push from Apple. That's a pretty big seller and they've done well in the past for me. So I, I'm still waiting to see <laughs> if I, it's possible I've gotten in them and not known, but um, I'll keep trying with that. I've been experimenting with Google's promos. You can just go in and book these. At, and just like I said, doing them, just booking them without any mention on social media or anything to see, again, if there's any organic reach. And I would say yes for Google, uh, both for free downloads. Like I had like a thousand free downloads pretty quickly after I just, I did their, you know, I'm going to set my book to book one to free for two weeks. And then I also did one at 99 cents too. And that that's done like 20 sales in a week or two. And you know, there, there's nothing huge. It's not a book bub for sure, but it's a free promo. And uh, the fact that I got a thousand downloads suggests they're promoting it somewhere, <laughs> you know, people are, they're helping people find it. So that's awesome. Um, same with Barnes and Noble promos. I haven't got any of their special ones, but they have so far always accepted it when I've requested a price, just the price promo for a couple of weeks. And um, they've, those end up going on. They've got a little page on their site. People can search by categories like, oh, what's on sale? And those have sort of ranged. One on an older box set only sold like maybe a dozen copies over a couple of weeks. So that one wasn't impressive. But a couple of the other newer ones moved a couple hundred copies at 99 cents, which again, not the most amazing thing in the world, but it was a free promo and they did the work. So that was worth doing. I've done Kobo promos now and then all along. They're more miss than hit for me, but you never know. So I, I do apply for them. I've definitely heard from people like if you get in the right one, that it, it can be helpful. The nice thing about these promos is that they just exist on the various sites and you don't, they don't usually don't cost anything. Whereas if you're doing pay-per-click ads, I've always found that a really expensive way, especially to move free book ones. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to have these promos. I'm not killing it wide by any stretch of the means, but hey, selling some books, uh, things never completely dropped off because I 
do have a lot of older series wide, but it's it's definitely I feel a lot of people are feeling the pressure of Amazon. Like I said, rates going down, lots of people still staying, sticking around, not worrying about it. But I see a lot of people going wide and selling direct now too. And my voice is starting to go, so it must be the sign for me to let Andrea talk. And then I'll talk until my voice goes out and then Joe will finish the show alone. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Joe gave a thumbs up. Okay, so um, I'm still wanting to get my books out of KU and wide. Uh, but as mentioned previously, in order to do that, I need new covers on a bunch of the books. And I've, um, I have I mentioned that last time. That's one. That's only one of the reasons why I haven't gone wide yet. It's just there's just a lot that it goes into and my brain's not there right now. But I had a bunch of, uh, of people and cover designers reach out and thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, but it's going to be a while before I get to that project. I can only focus on one big thing at a time. And for now, that's my consulting business, which I'll give an update on that in a bit. Uh, in book news, I was invited to participate in an anthology with some pretty awesome horror writers, and it was put together by a publisher. I didn't realize this, but you had to submit to it, and I didn't have to submit. They reached out to me and were like, hey, we want one of your stories. And so I was like, well, that's kind of cool, right? You know, I mean, it's been a while since something like that happened because I haven't been in the author world for a while. But anyway, so they reached out to me. I gave them a couple stories there in that anthology. It released last month, and... It's through a publisher, so I don't know how well it's doing so far. And they are a traditional publisher in that they don't tell us how well it's doing. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'd like to run a promotion, but I don't know if it's going to do anything. And then I can't test it out and then run another promotion, you know, because anyway, um, yeah, that's that's why I'm not with a publisher for all my books. Uh, but anyway, so uh, they have told me that my one of my stories, my Redneck, Redneck Anthology is the most popular in the my Redneck short story novella is the most popular in the anthology so far and it kind of tickles me pink because the story has a little bit of incest and a little bit of redneck horror and a little bit of <laughs> it's it's funny um it's got a great twist ending you find okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh spoil it but it's really funny and it's very great redneck stuff uh anyway so they they've invited me to participate in their next anthology and stories are due at the end of this month I've got mine outlined and I'm going to be writing it in the next week or so. We're heading up to Washington, not to visit Lindsay. We're going to the boring part of Washington that is dry and has no trees, nothing to look at, nothing to do, but that's where my in-laws live. And so we'll go up there and no one's going to sleep the whole time and I'm just going to die of boredom. And so <laughs> I'm bringing projects to work on while we're up there. Yes, Lindsay, that's exactly where we're going. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> she guessed right away. I'm sure other people will be able to guess too. <laughs> it's such a boring place. No offense to anybody who lives there or any famous stories that take place there. Uh, anyway, so Nolan will get caught up on us on sleep and I'm going to get caught up on projects while the kids play with toys that we don't have here and a yard that we don't have here. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to write, uh, that story while we're up there. I'm also going to be putting together some workshops and presentations that I'll be doing, um, um, that I'm partnering with my local city to do. Okay. So my current goal and Joe, that is so freaking amazing. 11 years of NaNoWriMo. I've done NaNoWriMo once. Um, I, I mean, I write the books in that amount of time, but it's never been during NaNoWriMo. Uh, and I've actually, I'm hoping, really, really hoping, this is my current goal, is to finish the Midnight Chronicles during NaNoWriMo because I still get emails every few weeks, every couple of weeks uh, to finish it. Like people are like, can you please finish this? I just finished it. I'm like, gosh, okay. Anyway, 
that it's not going to sell that series still hasn't made back the money I put on the first book, but um, I do want to have it done because it's just, it's that nagging feeling in the back of my mind. And I know I've made it a goal to have it written and then I've removed that goal multiple times, but it just needs to be done. I hate that it's not done. I know it's not going to make me any money. And even the readers who are asking for it probably won't buy it because that's my little pessimistic side coming out, which is like not a huge side of me, but (laughs) uh, having it finished will help. And it'd just be nice to have it gone. But one of the reasons why I haven't finished it yet is, is because I dictated the whole entire thing several years ago. And then that dictated version got lost. And so I'm going to have to rewrite all of it. Uh, which is probably a good thing because I've changed the ending enough where it's not going to be two more books. It's going to be one more book because if it's not right selling, why would I write two more books, right? I'm just going to finish it in one book. But also my like dictated stories are different enough for my written voice where I have to make a bunch of edits. And so it's actually faster for me to type than it is for me to dictate. But it's still a punch in the gut to have to recreate everything. Um, where consulting and coaching, et cetera, is concerned. I, I know it's only been a few months, but, um, I am no longer offering financial coaching. I, uh, basically I, I started pivoting during the summer after talking to a whole bunch of other coaches and, and discovering in the network that I'm in where I got my certification from. I just discovered that it's, it's not my passion. Uh, and, but I now include it in a package of several services that I offer to small business owners. Uh, most of my clients are local companies and I found, so much joy guys. There's, I just have so much passion in helping small business owners and helping them basically get their company off the ground. Uh, one of, one of my clients just as a little yay thingy, uh, one of my clients does, does like monthly events where he goes and sells his merchandise. And it's a really well-known company back East. I'm not going to say what it is, but he took my marketing advice and suggested approaches. And he went from making about 600 per event to making 16,000 at his last event. So I was pretty pretty pleased with that. I'm like, you know what? I worked with authors and I gave them really great advice and they would apply my advice. And some of them would go really big and some of them wouldn't. (laughs) Books are finicky guys. Like they really are. They're just, they're finicky sometimes. Um, anyway, so I've, I've been teaming up with our local city to offer workshops. Uh, I still absolutely love marketing. It's still one of my biggest passions. And I've got a lot of experience from running my own small businesses and helping other business owners. So it made sense to take my certifications and experience, especially with marketing and run in that direction instead. So working with the small business owners. Anyway, so Nolan and I now together offer financial coaching for both, both personal and business and risk mitigation, which is Nolan's thing, project management, marketing, branding, and proofreading to small business owners. And that's been so much fun. Like I just, I've loved it so much. And, um, Anyway, I found one of the reasons why I burned out on coaching authors was I wasn't charging nearly enough. Like guys, I was way undercharging and I didn't have contracts with monthly meetings. And so there wasn't a whole lot of accountability. Um, but I also better understand my personality now. So I work best when I'm, when I'm partnering on big scale projects and something I sensed before, but didn't fully understand until now. I don't do super well with one-on-ones where only small changes and small goals are worked on each meeting. I I did tons and tons of consultations over the summer and it just drained me like meeting with people over and over again and then meeting with them again and um partnering with the local city to host workshops and then working with business owners to get to go big has been a lot of fun because they've got such a big scale thing that I'm helping them with and I've found that the the one-on-ones are small enough scale where it it doesn't make as much sense for me, which, you know, some people would be like, oh, you're, you know, you're stuck up. I'm too small scale for you. I'm sorry. It, it's, it's not being stuck up. It's just understanding what I find joy in anyway. So 
I do still love giving marketing advice, but dealing with other people's emotions isn't something I handle well. And there's a lot of emotions when it comes to finances. (laughs) And so uh, you have to work through a lot of behavioral problems in order to help people to get ahead. And that's not something I have the bandwidth for. Um, Like, yeah, anyway. Anyway. Okay. So (laughs) uh, through my consultating, consultating, Consulting, I've been getting to know other coaches and consultants, and one of them brought this to my attention and challenged me with my businesses on it. And this is kind of just a change of topic a bit, but uh, he said that the very poor people think day to day, and I'm sure this is a quote from somewhere. I'll have to find out from him where, but and poor people think week to week, middle-class people think month to month, um, rich people think year to year, and the very rich people think decade to decade. And I know there's going to be complaints about societal expectations and, and uh, all of that aside, um, but I've thought about it a lot when it comes to books and my author career. Um, and the most successful authors have a plan for where they'll be a year from now and even a decade and a decade from now. I've known authors who've been able to plan out their cities, their cities, <laughs> their their series like that. And even if they're not planning out their series, they have an idea of where they're going to be in a year, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't vary that much because they've been either doing it for a while or they just they have these goals and they hit them and they know they'll hit them. Um, but the challenge is if you're stressing about writing on a day-to-day business and can't think beyond that, you basically need to find a way to get your thinking to like a week-to-week business or basis. And if you're thinking month-to-month, then trying to expand that to thinking year-to-year, et cetera. Um, because if we can't push outside of our normal habits and thought process, changing our situation isn't as plausible. And I hesitate to say it won't ever happen, but now that I've, I'm in my 40s, guys, I'm like 41 now. <laughs> now that I'm in my 40s, And I've watched a lot of other people living their lives and either changing or not changing. And I'm the type of person I learn from what other people do. I don't have to experience something to learn, but um, I can see that how you set out and continue is how you'll end up. Um, We like to think we'll be in a better place in 10, 20 years down the road, but if we're not doing anything now to actually make that happen before we know it, 10 or 20 years will have passed and nothing will have changed. I mean, I just, I still can't get over the fact that I started self-publishing in early 2011 and it's already been over 10 years, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, time goes fast and it goes by whether we're ready for it to or not. So um, go make some changes. The best time to cut a process or a system that isn't working is the first time it occurs to you. So if your books aren't working, change something. If your marketing isn't working, change something. And if your sales process isn't working, change something. Um, One last thought, marketing tells the world you exist and sales is convincing people to buy from you and not others. So if you're getting lots of views, but not a lot of sales, your sales process is broken. So that could be your description, your cover, your hook, your call to action, your views, et cetera. Um, And if you aren't getting views on your books, your marketing is the problem. But of course, the hard thing is this, a good book cover falls into both marketing and sales. Uh, You basically just need a good book cover regardless. But As I mentioned already, books are kind of finicky and you can have a really, really good book with a perfect package that never sells. And it's, it's, it's very tough. Um, The trick is understanding where you are. So in my experience, most, most authors don't recognize that their books aren't as high quality as they could be because it's hard to step outside of yourself and to recognize without any emotions attached. Uh, And it's something that you've seen often enough, like your book cover that you don't see it anymore the way with a critical eye. Um, But also it's hard to get honest feedback from others 
And, um, and that can make you make it really hard to approach people. Plus the people who would know sometimes aren't approachable, but that's where, I mean, I've talked about before Facebook ads, running Facebook ads to a bunch of different book covers and seeing which one gets the best clicks. And of course you have to make sure that you're not like running it to a a famous author's book because they're going to get clicks because they're a famous author and not necessarily because their book is, um, actually going to sell. So, and that's pretty much it for me. (laughs) I'm just going to make a comment before we actually talk about the topic of the show. With that quote, I think it's usually more like how people treat their money and how they're like, if you're living to paycheck to paycheck, it's a different mindset versus a person that's able to put $10 away and understand that if they do that every month and it, you know, they invested in it compounds that they will be rich eventually. It's, you know, and that's possible. I mean, just go watch like, the Money Guy show on YouTube, right? And I'm sure Dave Ramsey's has a bunch of stuff too. But I think it's more of a mindset thing than like how much you're making necessarily right now. And once you get there when you're investing and that sort of thing, that's when you start thinking about like generational stuff. I'm going to leave a legacy if you have kids or whatever. So that's your very rich people there <laughs> that are more concerned about that. But it, it's not necessarily like how much money you're making. It's very much how you treat your money and looking into the future. And I, I think it was interesting too, that you were applying it to your, to the book business and that things like that. Cause I, I always think about that with investing when I, I've heard that similar kind of saying, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts, but yeah, I just yeah, wanted the, to add that. <laughs> yeah. The guy was not using it when it came to money. He was just saying that people who are successful tend to have a farther view into the future. Like they tend to. You're doing the things that that, today that won't pay off for five years and you understand that and you're okay with it and you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) He was like, so are you thinking, and and I tend to think month to month to year to year, just because I've been writing for a while and I kind of know where I'm going to be going, you know, but he was like, he was challenging me even on that. He's like, no, seriously, where do you really think, are you planning next month? actively or are you planning tomorrow actively and i'm like i don't know i have to think about that (laughs) yeah i was just thinking about how you were saying it's hard to step out of your own mindset when it comes to judging your books because you know because i started a new job i was introduced by to a whole group of people almost i think all of them have never met an author before so they all had question they told me to bring in books so i have some of my books are just sitting on my desk at work and one of them the other day was like is this book any good? And I was like, well, I wrote it. And she's like, yeah, but is it any good? And I was like, eh, that's the first book I wrote. It's not as refined as some of my other stuff, but is it any good? Like uh, it paid for my first house. She's like, okay, is it any good? Like you can't ask an author if the book is good. I don't know if it's good. I haven't read it. I only wrote it. So like, <laughs> it was very strange to like have, uh, the inability to judge my own stuff. I I love that so much. I'm just sitting here dying because is it? Yeah, but is it any good? Well, it paid for my first house, but that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's just successful. It's not the same thing. I definitely uh, have books I'll point for people towards because I'm like, yeah, that series wasn't as good. Or I think this one's pretty good and the fans seem to like it, you know, and book one's free. So if you hate it, I'm very thankful all the time that I don't have to market in person. Big kudos yeah. to those who can actually do that, but I can't, not I can't me. sell my stuff. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get on to the topic, shall we? And the topic, if you'll recall, is uh, productivity, getting things done, either actually writing the book or moving it from 
the first draft to the final draft. And we're going to be starting on the productivity part. Um, so there's a couple of things that I've, I've been focusing a lot on productivity lately because of my time being a little more constrained. And I want to start with portable writing. The key to squeezing every drop of writing into a day uh, that's been reserved for other activities is having a way to write at a moment's notice. Uh, naturally, the standard way to do this is to have like a laptop or a Chromebook or whatever and pop it open whenever you have a chance. And oh, I mean, I'm, I'm specifically now talking about like stealing time in the day that is not writing time. Uh, obviously, just set aside an hour a day and do your writing in that hour. That works, too. But you can get a surprising amount of additional words into a day when you realize that you have five minutes between when you finish lunch and start work again or while you're waiting for the bus or whatever. So portable writing, very important. Uh, I like the laptop thing. I have a laptop. I can't even, uh, I don't even know if it'll start because I stopped using it a long time ago. I just, when I work portably, I like to work even more portably than that. And there are a few ways I've found that work better than the laptop for me. Uh, they take up less space. Uh, they're, they're easier on, easier off. Uh, and also because before I was a full-time writer, I was also working at a computer all day and then writing at a computer all day. Now that I'm back on the workforce, I'm sitting at a computer all day and then writing at a computer all day. So I've found value in, in sort of cutting a line between writing at a computer and working at a computer. So I've been finding ways that don't involve computers to do my writing. And uh, the first one is make your phone into a writing machine. Now, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, this is what I usually do at conventions. Uh, if you recall, several times we did shows in the past about conventions that we went to and frequently i'm the guy who had like 25 pages of notes and that's because i took all of those notes on my phone as a writing machine uh i i couple a bluetooth keyboard with my phone and i have a little stand for my phone although i usually work out a way that i put the phone in front of the keyboard and then look straight down at it not a good idea for your neck by the way uh if you get a decent uh, Bluetooth keyboard, or even a mediocre one, you can get a pretty good writing session done with nothing but your phone. Uh, Google Docs is really very capable on Android, uh, and it's free. If you have a Gmail account, you have Google Docs. Uh, and then just throw on the, the Bluetooth and, and start typing. I would suggest, uh, if you're willing to sacrifice some of the portability, uh, something approaching a full-size keyboard is nice because it doesn't allow you, to, it doesn't force you to sort of retrain your fingers from typing at a full size to some weird travel size. You could, although it's amazing how quickly you adapt to that, that sort of thing. But because your phone is already on, there's no boot time because the Bluetooth keyboard is literally flip a switch and you start typing on your, on your, uh, your phone. It's super rapid deployment. It's super small footprint. And uh, so I can just pump out a couple hundred words during my lunch break or any other non-workable gap in my day. But also, I have gone back to using the venerable pad and pen. Uh, long-time listeners will know that the Book of Deacon trilogy, the first three books I ever wrote, were written longhand in spiral notebooks, uh, 11 of them, I think, or 14, something like that. And I have returned to the spiral notebook, which the blue screen effect likes to get rid of and blow out. But um, yeah, uh, I really enjoy the process of writing longhand again. Uh, especially like that's one you don't even need a moment in your, you don't need to like set aside even five minutes. You can have a pad on the side and just write a couple of lines like while you're on the phone. It's amazing. Uh, it's a one-handed writing technique. And uh, it, it's it's like a break from hammering away at a keyboard for the day job. 
It also lets me use the fountain pens that have, that I have started collecting because why not? Why not have fountain pens and fancy ink? Um, writing in longhand had always been a part of my process anyway. Again, longtime listeners will know that if I get stuck or if I'm outlining, I'm usually I usually switch to longhand just because it. I guess it uses a different part of your brain. I I frequently am able to get completely unstuck almost immediately uh, when I uh, when I start writing longhand. So. I, it turns out I, I stay unstuck if I keep writing longhand. So I really, uh, I find it to be, it's slower, uh, but we're going to get on to how I deal with that later. But uh, yeah, uh, writing longhand is is not bad at all. And uh, also it turns out uh, after writing for many, many years as a lefty, uh, I was told you couldn't use fountain pens when you're lefty because you'll smear like crazy. But apparently over the, course of the whatever 30 years since i learned to write more than that i'm i'm old um i learned to write the correct way so i don't smear anymore so good for me but let's move on now to one of the things that goes part and parcel with a wrong longhand writing is finding ways to quickly convert the pen and ink into a document file because it's not automatically digital so naturally you can just transcribe just just type what you wrote and it's still faster like i find that when i'm typing something that's already been written uh i can usually type it about twice as fast as i can when i'm making it up on the spot so a writing session where i'm just transcribing um i will get double the words in in that same hour and a half or so when i'm just writing it and and the words that end up on the page are going to be better because it's sort of a little mini draft like you catch errors and you change wording so that's nice too. Uh, you end up with something a little bit cleaner. Um, so that's good. Another option is um, dictation, obviously. Uh, dictation, I was never a fan of dictation. I don't like it. I can't, it just, I don't have the time to think of the words I want to say in the time it takes me to say them. <laughs> I need that little bit of delay that comes with writing. I stutter like crazy if I try to dictate dialogue or anything like that. But dictating something by reading it off the page i can just read it as quickly out loud as i as i need to so i end up transcribing stuff and you know five five thousand words uh, uh, an hour uh, faster sometimes uh punctuation is a problem this i have yet to find any of the many ways that i that i do my dictation i have dragon i don't use it i end up using um, there's dictation built into Microsoft Word, and there's also dictation in Google Docs. They both do really well, but they don't do particularly well with fantasy names. Uh, nothing does. Or uh, punctuation. I, I, I still, quotation marks are a mystery to these things. They will throw them in about one third the time. But even so, fixing a handful of punctuations, which can usually just be done with find the word quote and replace it with a quote, uh, gets through incredibly fast so there's almost no slowdown at all going from longhand to, to writing and then there's also um ocr optical character recognition and i use this the least uh there it's just the the amount of time it takes to actually scan the pages and and uh or take pictures of the pages and have them get recognized usually i'd better off just dictating or typing but you can snap a picture if it's just one page and you don't feel like typing it. You can snap a picture. Google Lens does a spectacular job at recognizing handwriting these days, and I don't have the best handwriting. So there are some really quick ways to take something that 
the world has gotten better for people who want to very quickly turn words uh, on page or in your mouth <laughs> into into a, a digital files. And um, yeah, I guess what's funny, one last thing before I hand this off. If you are going to be doing the optical character recognition, uh, your phone camera roll will start to look hilarious because you know how your phone will like remind you, uh, hey, remember this day? Like three months later, like, oh, you took 45 pictures. That must have been a party or something. Like, nope, that was chapter two. So (laughs) remember to clear those up sometimes, but otherwise it still works reasonably well. Yeah, the, I've definitely known people, uh, one of the ladies that I was with a workshop with, and we all kind of published and did that stuff at the same time. She was a full-time chemist. I mean, she probably still is. I haven't talked to her for a while. And had kids. So she's always at basketball games and things in the evening. And she always had her notepad with her. And she she could do like three or four novels a year. It was crazy. She was just always writing every time in the car, waiting for somebody. And every time she got a chance. So for people where if it's a will, if you want it badly enough, you'll find the time and you will get those novels written. Uh, I don't have too much to add to this. I used to also write first drafts by hand. And I, I one thing I loved that you can do with paper is you can lay on the bed and just like be on your stomach writing. You just try that with a laptop. You'll kill your neck. Um, and I, I did find that very creative and I liked doing it. And, it, you know, when I went to transcribe it to the computer, I just, this was 20 years ago is almost, so I did it by hand and yeah, you kind of, it's your first editing pass because you're sort of correcting things and fixing it as you go along. I probably after like four or five novels, I stopped doing that and just started writing the first drafts on the computer because it was faster. I didn't have to transcribe anything then. And I, I think by that point too, I got in the point where I didn't need to do as many passes to finish a book. Like I, I started outlining in there somewhere. And so the first drafts usually these days are, you know, it's not like a whole major rewrite coming with the second draft. Um, so I don't do that now, but I do still plot on my phone. And I just use the notes app because it's frustrating as heck. And it keeps me from trying to write the whole novel on there. I just put in enough, you know, like to what turns into the outline or I'm plotting out some scenes. Like what, what am I going to have them say? Like if you're thinking of something clever, I'll put in a line of dialogue or something like that. And I'll refer to that the next day. I That's my one real tip for this section like when we were talking, hinting at the beginning, like if you want to do NaNoWriMo and you don't have very much time, you need to know what you're going to write before you sit down to write. Even if you're a pantser, you know, you might want to take some time, whether it's the night before or if you do a walk in the morning, take a long shower, whatever it takes. You know, you've got that place probably where you just start thinking and things happen, you know, just kind of figure out the next couple of scenes so that when you do sit down to write, you know what happens. You just, you, the words are going to flow out of you, hopefully. And you're the only thing holding you back is your typing speed. So if you can figure that out, like every day before, the, you know, it might only be, you know, if you're doing NaNoWriMo, trying to get 16, 1700 words a day, maybe that's only one scene. And you just kind of think about it whenever you have that free time and you know, and then when you sit down to write, you're not wasting any time. Um, as the resident, I don't know how all y- y'all write every day and stay sane person, <laughs> um, which I mean, I do like that Joe's using it as a way to relieve stress. Uh, I think that's really awesome because that you're going to where, you know, a writer naturally goes and it's not killing you anymore. It's, you know, 
relieving stress. I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, but my thoughts here uh, differ a little bit just because I am a different person. I mean, we're all different people, right? So when I'm in the middle of a book, it's literally all I can think about. And like Lindsay and Joe, I'll keep my my phone on hand and I write down ideas that occur to me while I'm taking care of the kids and homeschooling, et cetera. So I use Google Docs all the time. I have a tiny little Chromebook that it's um, the keyboard's not so small where I can't type uncomfortably. And I also have my notes app on my phone and um, <clears throat> my my phone is the, the kind that has like the, you know, it's a Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra and it's. I can handwrite and then it transcribes it for me into text while I'm doing it. And so that's really nice. So the text is already done automatically while I'm writing. Um, but um, I don't write every day or even close to it. Um, and I'm trying to help the author community destigmatize because back in the day, like for the first five years of being a writer, everybody was always like writers write every day. And if you're not writing every day, then you're not a real writer. And if you're not writing all the time and you're not writing books all the time, then you're not a real writer. And I'm like, that's just not true. Um, and especially for me, like I felt so much guilt because I'm, I like, I'm not writing every day. Why can't I write every day? What is wrong with me that I'm not writing every day? Anyway, so if you're a project person like me with high focus, um, Clifton Strengths focus is my number one. Um, writing every single day or even week or even month is a recipe for a slow but sure death. And so I kind of want to help those people who are like me just just release that expectation of yourself because you will be a healthier and a happier writer if you do. Um, don't expect yourself to do it. But that said, if you have chosen to be an author, you need to prioritize writing. I'm not giving you an excuse to not write because you still need to write if you want to be a writer. And that doesn't mean every day or every week. I mean, it could be every year. It could be every like four times a year. You do need to prioritize it, though. So this means finishing whatever current project you're working on, like if you're building a coop or something. That's the first thing popped into my head. Like if you're organizing the laundry room or I don't know what people do, <laughs> I, I tend to binge clean, but anyway, so finish that progress, uh, that project and, um, put it and everything else on the back burner. So you can focus on writing and do that regularly throughout the year. So during that time, I recommend doing nothing else that will distract you from your book and it's your, and, and it's plot. This is if you're like me, if you are not like me and you can do multiple things throughout the day and that doesn't cause problems for you, then that's fine. But I'm talking to people who are like me. I cannot focus on one thing at a time. Uh, I, I mean, I can only focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just thought, yeah, yeah, that's Lindsay. Do you want me to read your comment or do you want to make it? <laughs> I was just saying, I think we're actually the same because I get so focused when I'm writing a project that like I can't, it's so frustrating if I have appointments and things like that. I'm like, dude, I just want to finish this book. But I don't actually write every day. I'll write almost every day when I'm working on like a rough draft and then I take a break. I'll come back and edit every day and then send it off. And I, I have to make myself take breaks between projects and I need that. My brain needs a little time to kind of reset, figure out the next one. I think I just have less going on in my life than you do. So my resets are shorter. Okay. Um, yeah. Or, you know, they have been, maybe that won't always be the case, but yeah, I have a hard time too. Like if it's a writing day, I'm just writing. It's really hard for me to answer emails and do other things when I'm doing the project. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's exactly how, how I am. Like I have people who I absolutely love. And if they drop by while I'm writing a book, I'll be like, <laughs> like, leave me alone. And I'm like, Nolan has to remind me, he's like, you want this relationship to continue, right? You have to prioritize. <laughs> yes. Lindsay just said, why do you hate me in uppercase in the, in the chat? Yes, exactly. I'm like, if you knew me, you would know now is not the time to come and visit. 
but Nolan's like, but you want to maintain those relationships. Like you want to keep having friends after you're done with the book. Right. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> anyway. So, um, yeah. So if you are in a writing prog project, like mode, whatever, then, um, don't do anything else that's going to distract you from your book and its plot. So when I'm in that phase, I don't read other books. I don't watch nearly as many movies or shows and movies. That's like my thing, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm eating, drinking, sleeping, consuming, brainstorming, thinking my characters, their plot, their trials, their emotions and things like that. And it's really exhilarating, but it's very time consuming. I can't, like Lindsay said, I can't have doctor appointments in the middle of, of writing a book. I will cancel them and reschedule them if I'm in the middle of a, of a writing project, just because I'm like, I can't, I can't handle that right now. And if it's like something like I go to the doctor, like you're going to need surgery, then that book, there, there's no more book. That book stops existing because I'm like, well, if I'm going to have surgery in three weeks, then why would I, you know, or two weeks or whatever. Anyway, I don't have any surgeries planned as an FYI for anybody wondering. <laughs> Thank heavens. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so um, all right. So yeah, so you put that book in, in your, in your, your, whatever, in your project, whatever, I can't even think right now, but you focus on that book. And then once it's finished, send it off to your beta readers and editors and take that time to get caught up on your regular life. Don't start any major projects though, because when the book comes back, you need to be available and ready to focus only on it until you've got the edits applied and the launch is planned and or pulled off. And then once the book is published, give yourself permission to not think about anything else bookish again until your brain is really, truly ready. And this is where I see a lot of authors burning out because they're like, I, I want to start writing the next book. And even if they're excited about it, their brain still isn't really, truly ready. Um, anyway, so then at, at once, once you know you're ready, once you've, you've taken a break and you've done other things, you don't let your house fall apart or your personal relationships deteriorate or whatever, or your laundry pile, somebody please do my laundry for me. Um, then follow the steps above again. And if you're excited and ready to start the next book, then you didn't do it and disregard what I just said. Don't take a break, but <laughs> consider it anyway. Uh, okay. I'm done, Joe. <laughs> Sorry to add, it's funny now because my friends, when I text them or call them, they're like, oh, you finished your book, huh? Because <laughs> they haven't heard from me for like three weeks. <laughs> Like, yeah, we know you only have time for us when you're not writing. Okay, no. You know, I, it's good my, to have understanding people that get you, my, you know. <laughs> my 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 closest friend who lives closest to me is she doesn't remember my schedule or my personality. I'm like I've told her multiple times, this is my writing time, please don't or this is my homeschool time. She'll still come and be like, Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And I'm like, oh, just, I love you, but please. But my all my other friends that have been friends with me for a while, they 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 don't, yeah, they don't do that. They don't go, oh, you're not, you must be done with the project now. But that's funny. <laughs> Back when uh, when I was right at the very cusp of quitting my previous job, and I was I was trying to really ramp up my writing. Uh, my my sister in law, who I live with would always know when I was deep in the process because like dinner time would roll around and be like, Joe, dinner in five or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. And if I come up in five minutes, I'm not in the writing process. If I come up in a question mark, I'm like, oh yeah, Joe, Joe is, Joe is in the flow. So yeah, it's funny how you really lock in. I think that's one of the things that happens to the writer's mind. It's just like, oh, I'm not on the planet Earth right now. I can't. Sorry. It's going to take me a while to get back to Earth from where I am. So give me some time. But uh, I would actually want to say one additional thing about that I learned from from uh, when I was talking about the dictation. Um, 
an extra bonus thing you get if you dictate is that you get to find out if your if your dialogue flows. Like I didn't even realize until I started doing dictation. By the way, the book that I'm writing right now, one of the main characters speaks exclusively in verse. Not a quick way to write. Not well, you're basically writing a poem every third paragraph. It's bad idea, Joe. But I won't be doing that for NaNoWriMo. Set this aside. Do something where I don't have to rhyme and then go back to the rhyming guy. But uh, it really lets you, when, when you have to dictate it, uh, it gives you an idea of a rhythm. And also, since most of my books become audiobooks, it keeps me from putting together sentences that uh, my narrator would want to strangle me for, which I have done on purpose in the past. Uh, I don't recommend it. The, you'll get angry emails. But anyhow, on to the next section, which is getting from first draft to final draft. This is actually the specific topic that I was asked to bring to to you folks because it's a it's actually a lot a place where a lot of uh, authors get mired. Uh, people who are teetering on the edge of having a, an author career uh, find finishing is the thing that gives them the most trouble. Quite a few people out there have worked on the same book for the better part of a decade. That happened to book one uh, for me. Well, book one had turned into books one, two, and three. Uh, just revising and revisiting the same chapters over and over again. They just never feel like the book is done. Uh, so I'm going to quickly go over the two methods that I've used, uh, and maybe we'll go through an extra point or two uh, afterward. First up, the two, the two pass method. In this method, I write a whole book from beginning to end, uh, and then I go back and read through it. And on the first pass, I take notes. Like when I'm talking about the two pass method, I'm talking about two actual editing passes. So on the first editing pass, I take notes usually on a separate document or as comments on the main document keeping track of the things that need to be addressed. And once I get to the end, I go over those notes, jot down plans to fix them, and then I'll do a second pass to apply those changes. Um, and that is pretty the pretty standard way for me. That was the pretty standard way for me for the first five books or so, first six books maybe. And then I moved on to the one-pass method. So the one-pass method, which is my standard method for like the last seven years or so, uh, is... It, it requires a little bit of forethought. Like you can't decide halfway through a book that you're doing the one pass method. You have to sort of write it with the intention of doing this this way. But basically all of those notes that you were, that you create during the first pass uh, of the two pass method, you create them while you're writing. So I usually put them in brackets in line. Like I don't even put them aside. It's just part of the paragraph uh, in brackets or in three. It used to be, I would put them uh, in, in between sets of three asterisks but it turns out that's a common scene separator. So I stopped doing that just because it became hard to find them. They would just be caught uh, in a bunch of, uh, of scenes too. And I didn't like it. So brackets now uh, also all caps inside the bracket. So it stands out on the page. And if you're feeling really creative, uh, make them an entirely different color so that you don't even have to focus your eyes to see where they are. But yeah, put them there. And then when you do, uh, the first pass of the one pass method, you're basically just skipping the first pass or the second pass method of the two pass methods. Like you now have all of the notes that the first editing pass would have generated. They're just already there. And then you address them while you go through that one pass and, and you're done already. Sometimes if there are some really major things that I need to do, and I have had situations where I was basically wrote as a thing, I am missing a chapter. Like I'll realize that there's just not enough connective tissue to make these events make sense. 
if that happens, then you might need to do a partial additional pass just to make sure it flows and seams with what you had to add before and after or added it in uh, in between. But you're still going to have a much, much faster time if you're keeping these notes as you're going. Uh, so I definitely think that like this is a method that if you can get into it, I, I think it's one of the fastest methods available to you. Um, so yeah, the two-pass method, and this is key for me, uh, must never become the four-pass method. Like, if there are three passes, maybe. Like, you do one pass, you do your notes pass, and then maybe you want to read it a third time to make sure the notes flowed. But don't go to four. If I if I find myself going to four, I'm going to get to 16. Like, if four is the tipping point where I just don't know when to stop, so I just don't do a fourth path anymore. That's for other people to do. Editors and beta readers. Uh, in my observation, cleaning up a manuscript is a little like cleaning up the floor. Like, you can keep sweeping, and you'll keep on having that last line of dust at the front of the dustpan. doesn't matter how much you try to get rid of that. That last line of dust is always going to be there. So that's when I pull out the vacuum and just take that last line of dust away. So uh, same thing with writing. Like, I could keep on finding edits. Uh, I could keep on finding areas that I need to uh, that I need to fix. But at a certain point, I have to trust that either A, my editor will catch them, or B, it's not that big of a deal. People won't mind. Uh, so yeah. And the one pass method has been standard for me for a long time, but it took a while to develop the knack for catching things along the way with enough reliability for it to actually be the way I should be doing things. Because again, we're talking about being deeply in the flow, deeply in the flow for some people means that they're holding the entire book in their head and they can just sort of see where all the pieces are and they can just harken back to chapter two where, oh, that's where I need to, for I need to foreshadow this moment in chapter two. Let me add that. And when I'm really in it, I can do that. But very frequently, I don't remember what happened in chapter one. And that's actually the thing that I'm trying to take a note on, look back and see what happened in chapter one. Um, so like, it takes a little while to sort of figure out uh, how to keep enough of it in your head uh, to to make it work. But as long as it doesn't break your flow, taking notes in real time is definitely going to speed things up. And finally, one thing that I never do at all, not even in the beginning, uh, don't edit a story before you're done writing it. Like I know tons of people who do this, and it works perfectly for them. I don't. Uh, aside from potentially keeping you in an editing loop and preventing you from ever finishing the story, this can lead to an uneven edit. Because if you think about it, if if you're editing as you go, depending on how far back you go, you might edit the first few chapters 30 times, and you might edit the last chapter twice. And now you've got a really like perfect first act of your book, and the last act of your book is comparatively rough. Uh, and... Uh, Obviously, you can do a couple more passes to do to try to make that more consistent. But I really feel like editing as you go, it just eats up so much more time and doesn't really have that much of a benefit over editing once you're finished. So for sure. And by the way, uh, before I hand off, all of this is with the assumption that you're going to have a professional editor clean it up afterward. Like if you're not going to have a professional editor, if you're going to really try to release this completely self-edited, then maybe have a couple more passes. Maybe that four pass rule can be broken. But if you're going to have a copy editor or a developmental editor, uh, then yeah, feel free to send something out with a couple of, uh, a couple of, you know, black eyes, a couple of, uh, of scrapes and scratches in it. Cause they'll put some band-aids on it and make it look fine. 
Yeah, I would often see people when I was doing my workshop where we posted, you could post like three chapters at a time. And then a lot of people would continue on and post the whole book. But there's those people that would do like one through seven and then they'd all go down. And then you'd see gradually one through seven come up again. And then a couple months later, one through seven. And I'm not a big fan of that editing. I also write, I write the whole first draft because I'm one of those people that I kind of keep, do keep the story in my head. And the longer it takes me to write the rest draft, the harder that is. You start to forget, like, wait, what was going on in chapter three? It's why when I am working on my project, like we were talking about, I don't like to take breaks. I like to just get it down as quickly as I can while every, everything's still there. And I will also do the brackets. Brackets are usually like name, check, <laughs> things like that. Just And I attach it to the word so it's not inflating my word count because that would drive me nuts. It's <laughs> cheating. Uh so I don't even like I have the series I'm starting now is like the 20th book in this world. I don't know. Maybe it's the 16th, but there were two full series before this. So there's definitely things I don't remember that I have to go back and check, but I'm not going to break the flow to do it. So I write the whole thing. Then I go back and do my editing pass. And as I'm editing, I look up things then that's when I, I don't need to be like, it's all down. So I'm not worrying about getting out of the world or whatever. So and then after the second editing pass, I send it to my beta readers. I know I'm going to do another pass to kind of clean things up more, tighten things up, but I want to make sure there aren't like glaring plot issues or, you know, before. And that that's where the people that edit and edit the first few chapters over and over again is like, you're probably going to find out later you have to rewrite them anyway. Cause I, I don't know. I'm sure there are people out there that write the whole book and it's perfect. <laughs> you know we hate those people but most of us you think of your bright idea when you're like at 80 percent like oh oh yeah yeah and then you're like i gotta need to go back in chapter three and chapter seven and add something in to foreshadow that or make it so that can happen and um so that's why if i think of something like that i take some notes so i can do it in my editing pass and then once the beta readers go over it you know anything they bring up that i agree with i'll go in and fix and then I didn't used to do a third, a whole third pass, but I, once you start, if you proof your own audiobooks, <laughs> nothing, things jump out to you that you didn't see on the page. You're just like, I'm to this day, I'm like, oh my God, I used dragon in two sentences in a row and it drives me crazy. That's one of my weaknesses for sure. And I don't even necessarily catch them all. And my editor doesn't catch them all, even though she knows I hate them, <laughs> but I don't know, but uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But, you know, there's definitely, this is not what you have to do. It's really a lot of the journey, honestly, is just figuring out what works for you. We're not all the same. Lots of authors swear by a method where you basically go, you know, you write as you go and you look over the previous day's writing, kind of editing before you start writing new stuff. And then when you finish, you're finished and you send it off to the editor. Editor, I can't imagine that. (laughs) This is Especially, maybe on, I could I could do it on the books where they're like two POVs or one POV, and the story is relatively simple. There's no way I could do one pass with one of my 150,000 word six, seven, eight POVs with multiple storylines going on. It just it's too it's just too complicated when you have that many balls in the air. I find again, I'm sure there can be people. The special people who can do it that we do not like, <laughs> but unless it's you, listener, and then you're fine. We do like you. So I, I do want to emphasize that this is for, it may take you your first like five novels before you 
get there. Like I, I've told you guys before, the first novel took me seven years to finish. I, you know, put in a drawer, the virtual drawer, a few times, came back to it, completely rewrote the last third, rewrote it on a workshop. So when you're still learning, which is probably your first five novels at least, it's different. Like you, you probably do need seven, eight passages. You're probably learning things as you're writing the story. Like you may know the story, but you're also workshopping it or you're going to classes or you're reading books. And every time he's like, Oh, I, I want to, I need to do that thing. I need to go back. Keep, you know, I'm going to make my characters, they need more personality. So I'm going to go through and make sure that's there. So while you're learning, I would not necessarily worry too much. Or like, Oh, this is taking too long. I'm taking too many passes. Like write your first several books or series and then you can refine your process especially if at that point you're like yeah i i think i do want to you know try to have a career as an author you you may take a while before you decide oh i, I do like this or maybe like oh, i'm done i don't have any more books i'm good <laughs> that was that trilogy that's all i had in me and i will pass it to andrea to finish up and Andrea is on the verge of sneezing, but maybe it won't happen. And <laughs> anyway, I just want to take a moment, everyone, and appreciate the fact that Joe just used a sweeping the floor metaphor. <laughs> I, that just tickled me pink. Um, and he's speaking my language. Uh, he's also very bright. Uh, and I'm also impressed with the fact that he takes out the vacuum cleaner. Nolan does that. And I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's clean enough. <laughs> Lindsay kicks the dust that doesn't come up. <laughs> anyway um yeah uh anyway so i'm i'm like i like Lindsay. um i, I um stutter 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 <laughs> anyway um sorry i just saw your last comment you sweep it under the cabinet <laughs> stop making me laugh <laughs> anyway okay so uh and i'm not getting on her case for that i i love it um Okay, so there are a bunch of authors that I know who do that. They edit what they've written the day before, the day of. Uh, and I've done that a few times. Basically, it depends, on, like she said, depends on how complex the book is. Like if I'm writing a romance that's 50,000 words and it's really just very straightforward and kind of formulaic, um, it it's not as big of a deal for me to do that. And But generally what I usually do is I'll write the whole book in, in one go. Um, it usually takes me a week or two to write it. And then I read through it once and then I send it to my editor. <laughs> right. Anyway. So, um, sorry. Did you want me to, do you want me to tell people that comment? Or no, I'm just to... sharing. It's the chat. It's for you guys. <laughs> now, while you're talking though, you enjoy it at the end, Andrea. <laughs> it's true, right? You and Nolan have so much in common. <laughs> he we like do this like mastermind thing and he's sitting next to me and he's just saying the funniest things to me i'm like can i share that with the group no it was for you can i share that with the group no it was for you <laughs> like okay <laughs> anyway um so as Lindsay was saying the better you get the faster you write and we are we've been doing this for a while like it's not it's not like we're just starting out and we don't yeah like Lindsay was saying you learn as you go and as you work with an editor, the editor will teach you and you'll be that that first book is going to take a little bit of time. You're not going to be able to pull off a one or two pass edit and nor should you. You want to be making sure you're because if you guys, if you do a one or two pass edit when you're very, very first starting out, it's going to be very expensive to have that edited. You'll send it to an editor and they'll be like quoting you like two or three dollars per page. And then they'll be like, nope, this is like five or six dollars per page. So sometimes it can double your cost in editing. And so just, just spend the time in the beginning, make sure that you're doing the best that you absolutely can. 
and then recognize that, I mean, you can't use that as an excuse not to finish the book and send it to an editor because there are a lot of things that you're not going to be able to learn until you are working with a professional. And I mean, actual professional editor and they will help you. So if you've written several books and if, and if you are working with an editor, then trust that you know your stuff stuff, and stop fighting over your prose. I, I So many authors, like we lack confidence in what we are putting out. And that's not always, it's not always a well-founded co- sense of confidence or lack of confidence. It's not based on something logical. It's based on something emotional. And so put away the imposter syndrome or, or the guilt or whatever, and just recognize you do have experience. Write your book. Send it to beta readers if you need to, and then send it to your editor. And don't don't just nitpick over the pros for a long time because that that slows you down significantly. And it's you'll get to the point where you're not making it any better, and it needs those new eyes, or it will need your eyes again. But later down the road, and while you're waiting for that that fresh take to come, it might as well be with somebody else. And then my last bit of advice is to go watch Throw Mama from the Frame show. Mo- throw mama from the train and finish your dang book before you perfect the that opening sentence or paragraph okay guys <laughs> all right <laughs> i guess sure. any final thoughts joe or me i don't know if i have final thoughts i think that's good i haven't seen that i don't know what that is it's good pro mama from the train it's hilarious billy it's crystal uh, billy crystal danny devito good stuff uh, it is so funny. Kevin J. Anderson made us watch it. <laughs> no the one... night was sultry. <laughs> the night was sultry. The night was sultry, dang it. <laughs> Whatever she says. It's good. It's a, it's um. I mean, it's basically Alfred Hitchcock uh, redone as a comedy. Uh, Strangers on a Train. It's, I believe the movie that it is. Uh, yeah, yep. But yeah, it's worth watching. Especially Hilarious. if you've written a book, uh, Billy Crystal will resonate with you. Yeah, uh, is this from like the eighties or something? Nineties or those guys? This would be probably late eighties. All right, I'm writing it down so I don't forget. It's got the old lady from the Goonies, the one who has the son who is um, disabled. She's uh, the mama, and she performs phenomenally. One of the most detestable human beings you will ever encounter on screen. Right. (laughs) All right. So when I'm done with this, will be when I finish my current project. Yeah, be my reward. I, in the same way, I don't really watch movies or read other people's books while I'm in the zone, focused on mine. So when you're watching it, keep in mind that the actress who who plays the part of Mama had throat cancer, uh, voice cancer while recording, and it was the most painful role she ever took on. And she actually passed away a year later. Oof. Now, why do you want me to think about that while I'm trying to enjoy a movie? That's depressing. <laughs> I love trivia. I love trivia. I'm like, that's fascinating. The fact that she like gave it her all and it is a phenomenal, outstanding performance. Like she is, okay. like Joe said, detestable. Yeah. Like you watch it and you're like, I'm with her. I'm with Danny. I want to throw mama from the train. <laughs> but it's hilarious. It's a great show. Yep. Well recommended. Uh, and I guess with that, uh, we'll wrap this thing up. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find the show notes or leave a comment at uh, or a question at Six Figure Authors with the number six. Bye-bye. See you everyone later. So long, everybody. <laughs>